morning and welcome to Friday's Money Talk. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the 7th of January 2022. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business and finance headlines. The latest economic data from the mainland has shown a further pickup in the economy at the end of last year. China's Kaishin Services PMI marks the fourth straight month of expansion in December, with the reading climbing to 53.1 from 52.1 in the prior month. Business activity and new orders expanded at a faster pace, with export orders continuing to rise, while employment rose for the fourth month in a row and at the fastest pace since May. However, uncertainty over the pandemic led to business sentiment weakening to a 15-month low. The Federal Reserve could raise interest rates as early as March and begin reducing its balance sheet soon after. James Bullard, president of the St. Louis Federal Reserve and a voting member on the policy-setting FOMC, said on Thursday that the central bank is now in a good position to more aggressively tame inflation if necessary. Cathay Pacific announced yesterday that it will slash further its number of cargo and passenger flights. The airline will operate at 20% of cargo capacity and 2% of passenger capacity compared to pre-COVID levels. The latest cuts represent a reduction of over 70% of cargo and 80% of passenger capacity this month compared to November 2021. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Sunil Kashap of FinMet and Brad Gibson from Alliance Bernstein. Talking about the latest dining restrictions in Hong Kong is Simon Wong, President of the Hong Kong Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. On Wall Street, an attempted rally in US stocks failed late in the day as the technology sector sold off once again. The Nasdaq Composite Index fell for the third day in a row, declining 0.1% to end the day at 15,081. But it was a volatile session, with the index falling as much as 1.2% at one point, before rallying as much as 0.7%. The S&P 500 Index dropped 0.1% to 4,696, leaving it down just over 2% from the all-time high reached on Monday. The Dow lost 171 points to end the day at 36,236. In Europe, the Stock 600 index tumbled 1.3%. The UK's FTSE 100 lost 0.9%. Hong Kong stocks staged a late rebound yesterday after falling to their lowest level since March 2020 in the morning session. The Hang Seng index slipped to below 22,800 at one stage before rebounding in the afternoon session to close 165 points or 0.7% higher at 23,073. The Hang Seng Tech Index rebounded from a record low, down 1.7% at one stage, before an afternoon turnaround saw it close 1.4% higher. Billy Billy, Guaishou and JD Health all hit record lows during the course of the day before rebounding. And shares of Chinese property developer Shimeo Group dropped over 5% in Hong Kong after it failed to pay 645 million yuan, that's about 101 million US dollars, of 792 million yuan that was due by December the 25th, according to a notice to investors from China Credit Trust Company. The firm's four and three quarter percent bond due in July slumped 25 cents on the dollar to 45 cents. That's the biggest slide on record for its dollar bonds. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index closed a quarter of percent lower at 3,586. 
In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil jumped 2.5% higher, trading at $81.95 a barrel. Gold slipped below $1,800 and is at $1,791 an ounce this morning. U.S. Treasuries continued their sell-off, but the pace did ease. The U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield pushed as high as 1.75% before settling three basis points higher at 1.73%. And the yield ended 2021 at 1.51%. The two-year added another four basis points to 0.87%. And the US dollar continued its new year advance. The euro is at $1.13. The greenback's trading at 115.9 Japanese yen. One British pound buys $1.35 and a third cents and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 56 cents. In offshore markets this morning, the Chinese yuan is trading at 6.39 and a half versus the dollar. And Bitcoin is down just over 1% at 43,100. Asian stocks are rebounding this morning. Down in Australia, the SX200 up already 1.4%. Stocks in Japan have just opened. The Nikkei 225 there up 0.9%. The Cosby in South Korea is up about 0.6%. And futures markets indicating a gain for the Hang Seng of about 130 points at the open this morning. Eight oh eight and a half. Let's go and join our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have Sunil Kashap, director of FinMet, and Brad Gibson, co-head of Asia Pacific Fixed Income at Alliance Bernstein. Happy New Year to you both. Happy New Year, Peter. Good morning, Peter. Um, the uh, the Fed. We saw the Federal Reserve raise int- uh, the Federal Reserve could raise interest rates as early as March and begin reducing its balance sheet soon after. That's according to James Bullard, president of the St Louis Federal Reserve and a voting member on the Federal Open Reserve Market Committee. He said yesterday the central bank's now in a good position to more aggressively tame inflation if necessary. And that came just a day after the minutes of the Fed's December meeting showed the U.S. central bank could get more aggressive in raising interest rates and removing stimulus. Um, so, Neil and Brad, I've been wondering why the markets have suddenly reacted to this, because it's not, a, not been a surprise that the Fed is going to start reducing monetary accommodation this year. What I'm wondering is, this is the first time, I think, that we've seen the Fed both uh, talk about raising interest rates and actually reduce the size of its balance sheet um, at the same time. Do you think this is something new, and is this going to be a major concern now for, for the markets? Uh, let, let, let me maybe kick off. I, th- I think it is new in terms of the Fed talking about it, but the Fed has been moving quite quickly and swiftly with respect to its its tapering and tightening program. It was only maybe September, October that the market was thinking about the Fed slowly tapering and then waiting six months before tightening. And then we've moved to this tapering and then tightening in March. And now we're talking about you know, quantitative tightening potentially with a reduction in their balance sheet. So I think the market has had a lot to digest quite rapidly. Um, so no wonder there has been a reaction to the bond market. And it's likely that that trend will will continue as the market does sort of come to grips with the size of the Fed's balance sheet and, and what that would mean for the supply of, of debt into, into the market. Why are they getting so aggressive now in talking about reducing monetary accommodation? Because it, it seems to be happening at a much faster pace than they were talking about even towards the end of last year. Uh, actually, Peter, I think many people may say they were a bit too too slow 
to, mm. to react. I mean, you know, the, the people on the street have been talking about um, the, the, the need for the Fed to act much uh, earlier. If you remember, I mean, the signs of inflation have been around for almost a year now, uh, and they kept saying it's transitory. And I think, you know, for six months at least, the voices have been much louder um, saying that uh, they need to act, they need to say something. Um, I think what what's notable is that probably uh, Chairman Powell is waiting for uh, clarity in terms of his uh, re, uh, re-election um, um, and extension. So that after that, you you can see that he's come out more forcefully uh, about inflation, and, and that's when he said that uh, inflation wasn't transitory. Mm. So I think many in the market, many economists' market had had conti- you know continued to highlight quite earlier on that inflation is not going down. Uh, you know, prices are going up. Everyone saw that. So. In that sense, it's not really a surprise. Uh, I think, if if anything, they should have started giving more uh, earlier warning signals, uh, but they didn't. But now they they're, they're coming back and saying, "Look, you know, we are serious about it." And so, if there are any doubts amongst any people that we we will act, uh, they're trying to remove those doubts. In in the last tightening cycle, there was a two-year gap between the Fed starting to raise rates and then reducing the size of its balance sheet. And and even then, it didn't get very far, did it, in actually reducing the balance sheet. This time, it's now talking about doing both at the same time. Can can they pull this off without causing some market turmoil? Well, I guess history will be the the judge of that. Um, But but you're right. Um, It's not just how they tighten by just letting bonds mature and not reinvesting it. There is some increasing chatter about them actually physically selling bonds mm. to sort of increase the pace of that balance sheet reduction. We also look at the sort of the, the weighted average maturity of the balance sheet now versus 2014 and 15. It's actually a, a shorter maturity balance sheet. So it can actually roll off faster um, and, and at a more sizable pace than it did uh, previously. So, yeah, I think the market is at the moment being being challenged challenged by both both the, the, the fact that the fed could actually physically sell bonds into the market mm. and the fact that the maturity profile suggests that that, that pace of tightening could be quicker and yeah, if the but, yield- but the, there is a reason right i mean the big difference between last time and this time is inflation is is mm. uh, higher than it's been for several decades uh, and so the, the need for the fed to uh, at least voice its concern and, and say that they will take action and try to um Try to act against, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, expectations of inflation. Um, I think it's important, and so that's why they're coming out so strongly. They just want inflation expectations to probably taper off first. So, is the market looking for the Fed to try and do this in a steady and gradual manner? Is that what will calm investors' nerves if it's done that way? Well, again, if it is done in a steady, calm, but right, you would hope that markets react well positively to that. Um, and with respect to sort of the market's worry about inflation, if you look at various measures of the market's outlook for inflation, you've got break-even inflation rates in the US, you know, what the market is saying for inflation, about 28 to, to 3%. Mm. And I would, I would not think that that is necessarily alarming for the Fed. What potentially the Fed needs to catch up with is that their forecast for inflation next year is 26 to 2.7%. The market is at, at 3.2%. So I think that's where the, the mm. Fed is playing, playing catch-up to the market. But it's kind of be surprising if the Fed only started talking about average inflation targeting, I think that was only in August of last year, and are now already starting to panic about inflation. So there, so there is a balancing act here. But the fact is that inflation right now is, is quite high, right? So even yeah. though the, the outlook is, is that it will taper off. So I think what they're trying to deal with now is trying to bring 
you know, inflation right now down, and and ideally, without getting into politics, ideally before the mid midterm elections. Mm. So, so do you think then the Fed could be in the position where it may have to raise rates more than the three times the uh, the dot plots are suggesting this year? It'll be data dependent. Uh, I, I think the first task for them is to is to signal the fact that they're serious about it. And so if there were any doubts in the market, um, uh, the, whether the Fed is going to act aggressively enough, I think those doubts have been removed or they're trying to remove those doubts. Um, mm. And that itself may uh, help calm things down. So tell me what you think about this rise in bond yields. Uh, we've seen quite a dramatic rise in, in, in yields, haven't we? The 10-year yield uh, is up about 15 basis points now uh, this week. Uh, the two-year yield is its highest since March 2020. Is this purely the Fed? Uh, some, a sudden realisation that maybe, uh, you know, the Fed is actually not just scaling back the amount of liquidity it adds, but it's actually going to talk about reducing liquidity or, or are there other things going on here? Mm. Yeah, how, how scary. Imagine being worried about having to borrow money at 1.5%. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and your inflation rate is 7%. So it, it, it is kind of a... Yeah, when you, when you think about reality, with rates are so low across the world, the fact that they're going up by 30 or 40 basis points, I think we yeah, we might see some short-term volatility as the market reacts to that. But but ultimately, yeah, rates are still very very low and stimulatory. It may well be that that yeah, that, that that Tina effect, you know, there is no alternative other than to stay in growth assets, yeah, is challenging in the short term. But ultimately, yeah, with the level of the debt. Uh, around the world, I don't think that, that you know rates can go too high. So maybe there's some reaction in equity markets as US 10 years get to 2%. Mm. But anything north of that w would be more of a worry. Um, at the moment, I, I do think the market can calm down. Um, but remember, soon. we were at 1.75% yeah. almost a year ago. So I think what you had is uh, maybe the market went, got ahead of itself first, and then they, they realized the Fed is not as aggressive as they had expected. Um, and then the rates came off, I think, from 175 all the way down to 120 or so. Yeah, so, so all you're doing is now coming back to reality and, 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 and signifying that they, you know, that the Fed is going to now uh, increase interest rates. Now, the, the problem for investors is that last year, if you were just holding cash, you were losing 6% on it. So you had to go and put it somewhere and it, it went into the markets. But now you've got to face the fact that you're putting it into the markets uh, when the Fed is taking liquidity out. That's not normally the time you want to be in the stock market, is it? Correct. So I think, as I said, there's going to, I suspect, be some short-term volatility. And it's not just the equity market, too. If you think about the, 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 the property prices you know, globally uh, have also been the beneficiaries of sort of very, very low rates and, and flush liquidity. So yeah, all, all, all ships have risen um, in this tide of liquidity, and I suspect there's going to be some challenges for not just the equity market but other markets as well. And what do you make of the US dollar? That's, uh, that's been surging as well, hasn't it, at the beginning of this year? Yeah, and I think the trend there is probably for the dollar to remain pretty well bid. But there's there's kind of a, a, a cycle here. So it's probably the Fed lifting off first. The, the Bank of England has already begun. We're going to start to see the Bank of Canada, RBNZ to continue. So there could be just a, a, a central banks move ahead of each other. So I don't think the US dollar is the only thing that's going to be rallying. It could be the others play catch up. Let me ask you about China. We did get some more data from the mainland yesterday. Kaishin's uh, services PMI rose for the fourth straight month in December. The reading climbs to 53.1 from 52.1 the previous month. Uh, business activity in your orders expanded uh, and export orders also rose. Employment rose for the fourth month in a row. Are, are you getting a sense from the data that we've seen over the last week or so 
that sort of China's economy is sort of rebounding from this mini downturn we saw at the end of last year? It's encouraging, isn't it? And, and, and stabilisation would probably be the key. And I don't think policymakers would do enough monetary easing from here to try to get the growth to, to pick up too much um, ahead of its sort of natural rate. So yeah, but I, th- I do think it is encouraging. And if you think about inflation in China, it's running at around 2%, again, versus the 7% in the US. Interest rates uh, in China are well north of that 2%. So you are getting a real rate of return by owning, owning renminbi. Um, so I guess for the, the renminbi itself, uh, and for China's bond market, it still does look attractive. Whether or not the Chinese economy can withstand this ongoing regulatory uh, regime clampdown, the, the, the stresses you've mentioned in, in the property sector remains to be seen. So I, I, I don't think it's a, a green light for China at the moment. Yeah, I, I think also what you're seeing is maybe a, a two-speed economy mm-hmm. where um, the export uh, sector is, is clearly booming because the rest of the world is is coming out of its recession and, and there's growth taking place. So the demand for export products is, is increasing and you're seeing that reflected in terms of increase in, in exports. Uh, but domestically, um, like Brad mentioned, there's still a lot of uncertainty about regulations and the direction that regulations will take. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that uh, uncertainty is getting reflected in terms of just the outlook of companies and, and, and their strategies and sort of there's a wait and see kind of attitude amongst um, the large sort of industrial houses and also uh, the property sector. And, and do you think, I mean, China's exports last year were remarkably resilient, weren't they? Do you think that can continue this year, particularly in the face of this new Omicron variant? I think it was actually overnight the PBOC came out and warned that it's unlikely that this pace of exports uh, into 22 is is sustainable. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the third warning I think they've given with respect to exporters, Chinese exporters, converting all the US dollars they receive back into uh, into the renminbi. I think they are beginning to warn about the renminbi's strength um, as maybe not being sustainable. Mm -hmm. So in answer to your question, no, I don't think that the pace of export growth is going to be as strong, but it will still be strong. Okay, well, thank you both very much. Have a very happy new year. Talk to you again soon. That's Brad Gibson, co-head of Asia Pacific Fixed Income at Alliance Bernstein. Sunil Kashap, who's director of FinMet. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.21 and on the phone now is Simon Wong, President of the Hong Kong Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Happy New Year, Mr Wong. Good morning, uh, Peter. Um, so let me ask you, obviously not good news for uh, for your industry at the beginning of this new year. You've had a couple of days now for you and your members to, to reflect on, on these latest restrictions and, and shutdowns of restaurants. Do you feel any more optimistic now that maybe the, the sector can get through this? Well, we are not that uh, optimistic about uh, getting through this uh, 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 pandemic uh, for this period. Um, well, uh, since uh, uh, starting from today, uh, uh, people cannot dine out uh, after 6 p.m. Uh, this is going to hurt our business very much. And uh, we are not sure about uh, whether the pandemic can be controlled after uh, 20th of this month. Uh, if it continues uh, to have the restrictions, um, then uh, we are very worried about the business uh, would be um, uh, damaged uh, 
you know, like uh, this is uh, Chinese New Year, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and um, before uh, the first day of the Chinese New Year and after after uh, after the first day, we do have a lot of uh, banquets, celebrations, and all these uh, bookings uh, ha- have uh, actually been cancelled. And um, you know, normally for this uh, two months, you know, uh, for January and February, uh, I estimate that we would uh, make about uh, twenty billion uh, Hong Kong dollars in business. Uh, but with this uh, strict restriction and also uh, the spreading of the pandemic, uh, our business may be greatly hurt and uh, we might uh, lose uh, about 8 billion um, uh, business. And do you expect layoffs in the sector as a result of this? Well, um, as a result of this, uh, well, probably um, uh, some restaurants cannot go through this strict restrictions and then um, probably some uh, restaurant might, might have to close down before Chinese New Year. And I'm also afraid that um, there, uh, you know, the, especially for the employees. Uh, for this period, we employ a lot of uh, temporary staff. Uh, when you see that uh, we have a lot of banquets and uh, for this period, we probably have uh, more than 10,000 tables of banquets uh, per day and um, as such uh, you know all these uh, banquets we need a lot of temporary staff and if uh, they are being laid off and they cannot work during this time um, I feel very sorry for them because you know it's a hard time to to go through uh, Chinese New Year everybody needs money uh, Mm -hmm. for this period is it possible or is it easy for restaurants to switch to takeaway mode during this period just to try and help them uh, sort of tide themselves over? Well, from past experience, um, like in 2020, we do encounter uh, similar uh, type of restrictions. Uh, at that time, a lot of restaurants try to change uh, the operating mode. Uh, changing from dining uh, mode to uh, delivery service or takeaway service. Um, but uh, it's very hard for the Chinese restaurants, especially when they are only uh, doing banquets type of restaurants. Um, they try to change uh, to uh, takeaway, like uh, you know, one uh, group of, uh, uh, for the Chinese restaurant. They tried even to have takeaway uh, wedding banquet, but uh, it doesn't work. Mm. So, um, but uh, having said that, um, <clears throat> while well, some restaurants like the uh, local cafes or cha chan tang, um, they. They do make a lot of business, uh, uh, you know, for takeaway, and it also creates a, a, a large business for the, the delivery service, or the, uh, for those who provide delivery uh, services for uh, restaurants and customers, and their business will be increased by thirty percent from past experience. Um, 
I mean, the 30% for the uh, whole turnover of our um, uh, catering industry. And um, this is a big amount. Like, um, uh, I foresee that uh, in, in the next, uh, you know, it's actually starting from today, uh, uh, there will be a lot of uh, takeaway services uh, provided by uh, smaller restaurants as well as those uh, delivery uh, platforms. Now, well, clearly Omicron is spreading now in the local community and the government has to do something. So if it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't this, what would you like to see the government do instead? Before uh, government did roll out a lot of um, relief programs, of, you know, especially for the catering industry. Uh, right now, we are hurt by uh, this uh, 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 Omicron uh, variant, and um, our business uh, will be deeply uh, hurt. And uh, we also, of course, we wish the government would roll out, uh, you know, programs to uh, try, well, trying to help our business uh, to stay afloat. And uh, besides the business, we also want the government to do something about the employment scheme. Uh, before uh, the government have, uh, you know, the, um, the uh, employment support scheme uh, to help. Uh, enterprises to, uh, you know, uh, pay the salaries to employees. Uh, and I hope that, like, uh, you know, for the next couple of weeks, this is a crucial time for us. And uh, virtually, we cannot do any business after 6 p.m. And uh, that would hurt a lot of business and also the employees. And so I think that the government should immediately um, uh, roll out some kind of uh, program to help them. The government has talked about allowing only vaccinated people to enter restaurants. Would you support that if it meant that the restaurants could stay open later into the evening? Well, I would support that, of course. Um, this is uh, good for every people and um, you know, if you don't have the vaccination or if you don't don't get the jabs, then you know it's uh, kind of dangerous uh, to to the community. And uh, you know, just uh, two or three days before uh, the uh, chief executive announced that uh, the vaccine bubble uh, would be imposed uh, after February twenty fourth. And I do wish that uh, uh, this uh, uh, measure can uh, be imposed earlier. Um, you know, before that time, we thought that, uh, uh, of course, we want uh, more people to get vaccinations. Uh, if um, 90% or at least 85% of the people get vaccinated, and we have a safe uh, community and uh, people, you know, would be happy to go out to, to eat. Uh, otherwise, uh, we are quite worried about, um, you know, going into uh, places mm -hmm. which are crowded with people. Uh, just like um, yesterday when we heard that, um, you know, some uh, uh, government officials, uh, you know, attend a party, 
and uh, they um, well they're being affected by <laughs> by the spreading of the uh, some kind of uh, some people who, who has the carrier of the uh, coronavirus and um, this is not you know we don't want to see this happen and uh, we hope that uh, more people can uh, get the jabs. Mr Wong, thank you very much for joining me this morning. That's Simon Wong, President of the Hong Kong Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this morning, where we're seeing a rally in Asian stocks. The SX200 in Sydney up 1.4%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is also up over 1% now. Cosby in South Korea, similar story there, up about 1.1%. Looks like we're going to see a rally in the Hang Seng as well at the open. Futures markets pointing to a gain of about 130 points. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil slightly lower at $81.95 a barrel. Gold pretty steady at $1,792 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend. Please join me again on Monday morning. Coming up after the news, back chats with Janice Wong and Andrew Work and the weather forecast. Mainly fine, cool in the morning, maximum temperature of around 22 degrees during the day and it's going to be mainly fine over the weekend. Temperature right now is 18 degrees, 82% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shorosky with the half-hour news. Two senior officials who've been sent to quarantine have apologized for going to a banquet attended by a woman who later tested preliminary positive for COVID. The Home Affairs Secretary, Casper Choi, and Alan Fung, a political assistant to the Development Bureau, were among at least 11 officials present. Most left before the COVID patient arrived. The event was hosted by Whitman Hung, a local deputy to the National Legislature, reportedly to celebrate his birthday. Executive Counselor and Lawmaker Regina Ipp says she was surprised to hear that so many officials were there. Well, it's not just Casper. I was surprised that so many senior officials would attend one birthday party. I myself, I find that I don't really have much time for partying. When the government was already aware of the Omnicom threat, you know, that so many senior officials would congregate at, at a social event. A labor unionist fears unemployment could return to over 7% if a fifth wave of COVID infections persists for more than six months. Legislator Lam Chung Sing from the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labor Unions says he accepts the need for COVID control measures but is concerned about their impact on workers. He called on the government to provide workers with compensation. The government can provide some compensation for those industries, especially for those industries affected by the social distancing measure. Uh, Because for many uh, beauty and massage establishments, some employers uh, before, they they maybe share uh, the benefit with the employees, but not at, at the end of the Yes, but now they may cancel the year-end bonus uh, to the employees, and I think for the employers, it's difficult for them to operate. Five overnight lockdown and testing operations have concluded, with no cases being found at blocks in Apley Chow, Taipo, North Point, Happy Valley, and Maan Shan. In total, some 3,300 residents were given tests.
President Biden has accused Donald Trump of holding a dagger to the throat of American democracy in his most heated attack yet on his predecessor. In a speech marking the first anniversary of the storming of Congress by Mr. Trump's supporters, President Biden accused him of spinning a web of lies and trying to rewrite history. He blamed Mr. Trump's refusal to accept his election defeat as the spark for an armed insurrection. They didn't come here out of patriotism or principle. They came here in rage.